Oh, the places we'll go. And I, again, I want to thank you guys uh, because it's been so fun to get pictures from all over the country and even other countries of people as you're traveling and you have your sign there and we get to see where you're going. And, and uh, so thank you. But into the summer, uh, we're going to do a big slideshow fun and, and show pictures of North family kind of spread all over the globe. It'll be a great, great time. So thank you for being part of that. Uh, we really appreciate it. And if you went on a great trip and you forgot your poster and um, you really want to be part of it, Photoshop is a beautiful thing, okay? So just keep that in mind. <laughs> All right, we're going to continue our series, Oh, the Places We'll Go. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk a, a, a about a beautiful story uh, in the book of Ruth. And uh, Ruth is um, a really important. It's a beautifully written love story. It uh, uh, tells the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Boaz, and uh, it's written in four chapters, and it's like a four-part play, a uh, four-act play, that each chapter sort of opens up a, a new part of the story, a new part of the, the love story uh, that's the, the book of Ruth. And, and so I, I don't know if you can tell by the title, but it's about Ruth. And I, I thought, um, you know, just immediately you read the title and you think, poor Larry's over his head um, because there are women involved and I needed some help. And I have the great privilege of having Kirsten Sneary, who's going to be part of this this morning. Uh, if you don't know Kirsten, she oversees our women's ministry. Yay, Kirsten. <laughs> Uh, she oversees our women's ministry and our small group ministry. Uh, she's a critical part of our North team, and she's a dear friend of Jenna and me. And so thank you uh, for bailing them out this morning. Uh, <laughs> we really appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to talk about Ruth, and we're going to walk through this story with you this morning. Uh, and like I said, we don't know. Um, scholars don't know who exactly might, may have been the author uh, of this. Uh, but we know that it's, a, it's an important story. It's, uh, it says in the time of the judges, so it's before there's a king, but it's going to lead us uh, to uh, the, the kings of Israel. Uh, it, it's an important part of their history and their story. And so uh, we're going uh, to look at this from the context of things we've been talking about. We've talked about what it means to get out of the boat. Uh, and, and to trust the Lord. Uh, we've talked about what, what it means to, to go through the door and, and that God provides these doors for us. And are we willing to trust him and, and go through that door? And we're gonna look at that in a very clear context this morning. So Kirsten, it's okay, I'll read the first five verses of chapter one here and I'll get us through all the names. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, in the days uh, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech, and I can say that three times really fast if you want me to, Elimelech, <laughs> and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilian, and they were, uh, and they were Ephrathites, Ephrathites in, of, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech and uh, the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. Uh, these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, not, uh, not the TV host, but uh, Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years, 
and both Milan and Kilian died, so the, wim- the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Why don't you pick up the story from there? Wow. So this is a really sad story because in that time, Naomi was now completely destitute. She, uh, marriage wasn't always just a, a romantic thing. It was seriously a soci- uh, an economic well-being thing. And so she is now uh, desperate. She's now penniless, and she's really going through a hard time. She's very sad. Um, and so she is, um, she talks to her daughters-in-law, and um, we're going to pick up on verse 6, and it says that she arose with her daughters, daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So the daughters-in-law, they did follow her. Oprah and Ruth, Ruth followed her. And this is where it gets a little interesting for me. I think it's interesting that they don't really talk about Naomi's character here, but you can only infer that she was an amazing woman. She was an Israelite woman who had lived faithfully, um, had trusted her God, had gone to this land looking for food, and she had apparently loved her family well. Um, there are... There are quite a few mother-in-law jokes. I'm sure you've all heard them. Um, and unfortunately, there's a reason for that stereotype. Um, <laughs> there actually have been some studies, lots of studies, and this one particular one um, by Terry After, she was a psychologist from Cambridge. Um, she did a study over the course of 20 years, um, and she interviewed and, and studied about uh, just hundreds of families, and she found that two-thirds of those women that she studied had significant um, unhappiness and stress as a result of friction with their mother-in-law. And this is another reason I'm Yikes. having Kirsten up here, because I'm just not going to touch that whole area. <laughs> I refuse to go there. But what, one thing and that... we does, don't want to be that. No, exactly. What, one thing that does strike me, though, is that uh, in, in this context, uh, you know, Moabites were the bad guys. Just a few weeks ago, we did a sermon on Gideon. Remember what happened to the Moabites uh, in the story of Gideon? God just wiped them out because they were evil. They practiced infant um, sacrifice. They worshiped other gods, uh, all of those things. And so here's this family, because of a famine, forced uh, to uh, spend a decade in the land of, of the Moabites. And so not only is Naomi destitute, but she's a foreigner and in that land, and to be, uh, as Kirsten said, to be a widow in those days, um, you know, your options, if you didn't have an heir, if you didn't have a son to take care of you, uh, then you were gonna be a beggar uh, or a prostitute, uh, or you were were gonna starve to death. I mean, you just had no good options. If there wasn't a family somewhere, relatives to take you in, uh, then you had no place to go. And so it really is, if you look at it from the context of just being hopeless, uh, it was a very dark time for her, and so she decides to go back to Bethlehem. Right, and her daughters-in-law followed her at first, and then she she turned to them and she said, "This is silly. Go back to your go back to your families. Go back to your gods. They they did have many gods." She said, "Go back, and I bless you, and I and may the Lord bless you for for doing this." And and they wept and they said, "No, no, no." And and then she said again, "Listen, I I have nothing to offer you." And in that time, if one of their husbands had died, it was that fam- the husband's family's responsibility to provide another husband, to provide someone to care for them. And she had no one. And she even said, hey, even if I was at the age where I could marry again and have more children, she was, 
you're not going to wait for me, those children to grow up. I mean, it was just absurd. It was an absurd um, idea. So she brought that up. And, and at that point, um, Orpa did kiss Naomi and say, all right, I'm going to go. And she left. And she chose, she chose that door. She chose the door of, um, of reasonable, reasonableness. And, um, and a lot of times we, we kind of hear that Orpa gets a bad rap for that. But she did what was prudent in that time. She really did. And Ruth, um, on the other hand, she clung to Naomi. And she did what was probably very unreasonable. And um, I can think of a lot of you out there that probably do some unreasonable things, but for the right reasons, for love. You know, and that's what she did. She did it because she loved her mother-in-law. And um, so anyway, uh, she... You know what I love about this? Uh, is that when in the scripture, in the text, it says she clung to her, yeah. uh, to her, and that that's the same word that's used in Genesis two, uh, where God said, "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or cling, uh, or hold fast to his wife." It's the same Hebrew word, and and it, it carries a context of glue, that I, you've just been super glued uh, to each other, and uh, that that's how uh, that's how Ruth cared for her, her mother-in-law mm-hmm. was to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with you like glue. I'm not going to let go no matter what. And that's a powerful that's picture right. for us. Yeah. And, and Naomi says in verse 15, she says, look, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Um, return after your sister-in-law. And that's when Ruth did. She said, no. And Ruth in 16 to 18, she says, um, but Ruth said, and this, this right here, this is one of the most beautiful statements of devotion, I think, in scripture, but probably in literature. Um, Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's powerful. Well, and you know, what's fascinating about this is that, again, you know, you, you talked just about Naomi must have been a, a, a really um, a person of high character because uh, Ruth is saying, I'm gonna go with you, I'm gonna stick with you, but, but I'm also gonna leave the old gods and I'm gonna leave my old culture and I'm gonna uh, convert mm-hmm. uh, to following your God and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be part uh, of that. So she's not just relocating, she's not just moving to another state or another country, but she's saying, I'm changing everything about my identity, everything about my life uh, in, in order to do that. And, and so it's this picture of, Naomi, who must have been a remarkable person to, to draw that kind of devotion, but also uh, Ruth, who had such deep love uh, for her mother-in-law that um, she would make that kind of change. I think we can all learn from Naomi, men and women alike, just that we could influence so much from love and not any other tactic, and that's what she did. She was a faithful woman, and she loved well. She loved mm-hmm. her family well. Yeah. So Ruth, and at this point, after Ruth um, says this to Naomi, Naomi's not going to argue. So they, they go on. They go back. They go to Bethlehem. And it's been 10 years since she's been there. And so um, the people see her coming and they say, wait, is this, is this Naomi? You know, she's been gone for 10 years. Is this the same woman? And, and this is where um, Naomi has been through a lot. She's, she is mourning. She is grieving. And she said, you know what? I left this place full and I was Naomi then. 
and I have come back empty, and the Lord has been hard to me. The Lord has been against me. That's how she felt at that time. So she said, call me Mara. That means bitter. She's like, just call me Mara. I, I'm not the same person anymore. And I know that that's a hard thing to hear sometimes too, but that's, that's real life, and um, mourning is real life. And there are different stages of it, and, and she was in a stage where she was just going through it. Yeah, and I appreciate that about the scripture because the, you know, the, the scripture doesn't try to sanitize that. Um, you know, Naomi said, I'm in a horrible place. Uh, this is the worst that you can imagine. Uh, I've lost everything. I've lost my husband. I've lost my sons. I have, I'm destitute and, and I'm bitter. I feel like God's forsaken me. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with God where you said, God, where are you? Uh, you know, but Naomi was having that conversation. And so, um, and the Bible doesn't try to say, oh, and then she snapped out of it. Or though, oh, then she prayed and everything was okay. Or uh, no, but the Bible just lets us sit there for a minute and deal with the fact that here was a woman who had lost everything. Here was a woman whose life was in ashes. And, um, and she was... And, and she was dealing with the grief uh, and, and the pain that went with that place that she had found herself in. And, and I'm grateful that, that the scripture allows us to sort of, because that's, that's our life, right? And that's how we live. And uh, the Bible doesn't try to just make, cover that up or gloss it over, but lets us deal with the real life and real tragedy that happens. And, and I, I appreciate that about the I story. I do too. So they, the very end of chapter one, we see this little snippet of hope. And the narrator just says, and the barley harvest had begun. And it's just this little sentence. It says the barley harvest has begun. And I feel like the narrator's setting the stage, um, setting the stage to see, okay, there's something new coming. There's something hopeful coming. And I think that we need to remember that too. And um, God is so good at showing us through scripture um, all throughout the Bible that there are times that God will ordain some tough times only to be able to reveal his great faithfulness. And so if you're in one of those tough times right now, I just pray that you'll let that penetrate your heart and know that, you know, God may be up to something and showing him and revealing his faithfulness to you. And we can't miss that. Hmm. So start us into chapter two. Okay, so chapter two, the very first sentence we read on that is, oh, there is a man named Boaz who is a relative of Naomi. This is, again, the narrator just saying, hey, there's a relative of Naomi's, and um, he's from the clan of Elimelech, and he's a worthy man. And that could mean either he was of high character or that he was of high wealth. And in this case, it's probably both. He was probably both of those things. And then we realize at the very beginning of this chapter that they, they have no food, they have no family that they really know of, and they really don't have any hope. They're kind of in a hard place, and Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to glean in the fields. And that was um, just going to the outskirts of the fields and picking up all the leftovers, really. And that's what you do when you're poor. You go and pick up the leftovers. And, and the neat thing is that God had provided this. Um, this was a law in the Torah that would help for uh, travelers and poor people, it was a law that they were to leave those outskirts of their fields for them. And so, um, so Ruth meets Boaz, though. Boaz does, she happens to be gleaning, and it happens to be Boaz's field. And so um, he comes along, and he says, who is this woman? Who is this young woman? Whose woman is she? 
because women tended to belong to a family, belong to someone. And I think he was kind of saying, who is she? She's kind of cute. That's what I think he was saying. That's, That's just my version you're of up it. Here. That's my version. <laughs> And, and the, the people in the field, the men in the field said, oh, she's that woman from, she's the woman, that, the Moabite that came with Naomi. Um, so Boaz goes to her, and then in verse 8 and 9, he says, um, Ruth, now listen, my daughter. This is a term of endearment. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman and let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young, the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. It was apparently pretty um, scary and dangerous for women to do this. And so he's, he's told his men, don't touch her. And, and then he said, keep coming back. Keep, com keep coming to my field. And, um, and he was just very, very impressed by her. Her character um, shone through in her great kindness she had towards Naomi. Um, so he was just impressed by her. Well, and, you know, as we, as we read this, and we, we have the luxury, right, of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, you know, reading this story. And, uh, but uh, uh, Ruth's life was about as low as it could get. You know, she's a foreigner. Um, and, and she is out with the beggars and the, the destitute just trying to get the scraps from the field. So she's out with, you know, back-breaking kind of labor just to get some barley, just to get some wheat to feed she and Naomi. And, and that's what her life has been reduced to. And, and so at this point, it would be really easy. Uh, Na Naomi says, call me bitter. Well, you know, Ruth may have had a few choice words for how she was feeling at the time too because her life is destitute. She's relegated to just taking the leftovers, uh, of, you know, that the servants of Boaz have more food. They have more uh, than she does. And, and yet in the middle of that, we get this little inkling of how the story is developing because God knows all of that. None of this is lost on him. And Boaz sees her and, and something touches his heart. And he says, you know what, just leave a little extra and don't bother her. Nobody, she's off limits. Just let her come and go. If she's thirsty, give her something to drink. Take care of her because there's something special here. Yeah. So, and then in verses uh, 10 through 13, uh, we read, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done to your mother, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward uh, be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And then he, he goes above and beyond. He even invites her to his table, and he gives her food, and he, so much so that she's satisfied and she has leftovers. And, um, and then he, he, does, he does tell his men, you know, he, he has an obligation to obey this law of providing for the poor and the, and the sojourners, but he doesn't have an obligation to give her extra. And he had told the men, pull out some extras from there and just leave them for her. And so she goes home this very first day with like two weeks worth of grain. And 
and her leftovers and everything. And, and Naomi is thrilled and she, she says, what happened and whose field were you in? And, and Ruth tells her, hey, it was a guy named Boaz. Just so happens to be a guy named Boaz. Don't you love how God does that? And um, she says, no way. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's one of our relatives. And so this is when we first hear about the kinsman redeemer. And what this is is when a widow or uh, a widow loses her husband. Um, so if a man dies and she, he leaves a wife and or land, the, the family's responsibility is to buy that land, take up that land, marry that widow, and provide for the family. And so she's thinking, ooh, there's a little glimmer of hope here. So they start the chapter with no food, no family, and no hope. And by the end of this chapter, we're already lots of food, a little glimmer of some family, and a glimmer of hope here too. And a little plan. And a little plan. And a little plan yeah. right, by her uh, mother-in-law. Yeah, and, and by Boaz. He had a little <laughs> plan going, too, because he said, come back to my field every day, okay? Yeah, so, so go ahead, whole, chapter 3. Yeah, yeah, through the whole far harvest. So in verse 1 in chapter 3, um, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? Well, what, that, what she's saying is, you need to get married. You need to settle down. You need to have a permanent home. And so I think she goes on to give her a little dating advice, you know, old Israel dating advice. And so she says, you've been looking like a widow long enough. You need to get cleaned up, put some perfume on, and look like you're available. That's what she says to her. So, Again, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so Ruth is obedient, and she carries out this plan. And, and so she goes, and there, there's essentially like a little harvest party going on. There's a threshold, and they're getting the grain, and um, so she waits until everyone has eaten and had their harvest party, and he goes to bed. And so late in the night, she goes, and she, this is a little scandalous, but she goes and lays at his feet, and that's kind of a sign and a symbol just showing her dependence on him, but it startles him. He wakes up in the night and says, who, who are you? What are you doing here? He's, he's totally, I don't know if you, I, the way, that's the way I wake up. Who are you? Where am I? Who am I? Um, he does that. And, um, he, and she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. And, he's, and then she says, she basically asks him to marry her. He, she says, will you redeem me? Will you redeem our family? And he is absolutely blown away now because it's more, that, more kindness than she's already shown. She's already shown herself to be an incredibly loyal, kind woman. And she loves her mother-in-law well. But now... He says to her, you could have anyone, you could have a young man, he's an older man, and yet you come to me and ask me to redeem you. That shows incredible kindness. And so he's, he's blown away, he's blown well, away and, now. And he's basically, he, he's perceptive and he sees that, that she's doing this, uh, that, that all of this is initiated because that she wants to make sure that, Noah, uh, that Naomi's taken care of. That she wants to make sure that her mother-in-law is taken care of, and so she's gonna, uh, she's working this out so that that she can guarantee that her mother-in-law is cared for. And Boaz sees this, and he's so touched by her devotion and her love for her mother-in-law and for her uh, character. And and what we're getting this picture in this story is what great character means. And and uh, so we have a person Naomi who's 
have such high character and devotion that Ruth is drawn to her and clings to her uh, and, and, and actually converts to, to Judaism as a result of that. And then we see Ruth, a person of such high character that Boaz uh, is drawn to her and he is so uh, moved. And, and, and so we get this idea of these two people that it's not this this you know, crazy attraction that draws them together, but it's the character that they each have, uh, the lives that they lead that attracts them so much to each other. Uh, and, and so we get this powerful picture that's starting to, to, to build and, and grow. It is. And, and he agrees. He says, I will do for you all that you ask. Um, and because of her reputation as a worthy woman, he says, you are a worthy woman. And that's the same phrase that is used in, um, the Proverbs, in Proverbs 31 when they're talking about an excellent wife. And so he says, I will do this, but there's another redeemer. There is another family member that's a little closer in line than me. And so, I, and so he, he says, I'm going to fix this, though. And, he, and, and in order to show his intentions... He sends her home with six big bushels of barley, and I'm sure that's to show her mother-in-law too. Hey, he's serious about this. Well, pre-engagement commitment, little, right? It's a promise yeah, ring. That's it's right. It's a promise ring. Yeah, pre-engagement. So, um, so he, yeah, she go, he goes home, and then um, I love it where Naomi says, "So, what happened?" And and then all we read is, and Ruth told her all about it. And you can imagine the story. You know, she's saying, well, what did he say? Well, what did he, she, you say? And then, well, what was he wearing? I don't know. You can just imagine <laughs> the story. But she told her everything. That's all we hear is that she told her everything. Um, Nobody asked Boaz what she was wearing. No. <laughs> so we come to chapter four. Yes. And um, Boaz comes into the town and to the town gate. And a lot of times they do their business at the town gate. And so he gathers some elders there. And it just so happens that the Redeemer, the closer um, of kin, he walks by and he says, hey, come sit over here. I want to talk to you. And he explains that there is this piece of land that um, Naomi has. And um, he, he says, if you redeem it, great. But if you don't, then just let me know because I'm next and I, will, I would like to know about that. I'd like to have an opportunity. And so then we get to um, chapters 5 and 6, and it says, Boaz says to the uh, Redeemer, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow <laughs> of the dead. Now she's Ruth, the Moabite. But yeah. In the first chapter, she's just Ruth. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, chapter 4, she's Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, the, Moabite. So we... the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Uh, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. I love the way Boaz even talks about Ruth here, because he would never say this in front of her. He thinks she's a worthy woman. He is enamored by her kindness and her love and her character. She's a beautiful woman to him. And yet he paints kind of an ugly picture. <laughs> a Moabite woman was not an attractive woman to the Israelite men. So you, he's basically saying, well, you realize now that when you get that land, you're also getting that Moabite woman, and um, she's the widow of the dead. That doesn't sound very nice. Um, so Boaz, he does, though. He is willing to forfeit some of his wealth in order to redeem. And so he does. He takes on... I love that uh, when, he, when the Redeemer first says, I'll do it, we were all like, no, 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 we wanted Boaz. And so then he, it, we get the story straight and we do get the hero the hero comes in 
And the beautiful part of this is that this, this whole idea of redeemer, the law said someone must redeem uh, this land, that, that, but it's a, something that has to be paid. It has to be bought. You can't just forgive uh, debt or you can't just let it slide. Uh, it can't just sit there, but the law required that the debt had to be paid, that the land had to be redeemed, that people had to be uh, cared for. And, and, and so as we see this picture of Christ in the Old Testament, who's the ultimate redeemer, who paid the price, who paid our debt, who, um, who gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be bought uh, so we could be redeemed out of our sin. And, and we're getting this picture uh, of what that looks like and, and, and a picture of who Jesus is that's coming out of the story of Ruth and, and a, little, uh, a little sign of what it's going to look like mm-hmm. when Jesus comes. Yeah. So he redeems Naomi and Ruth by marrying Ruth. And um, he gives them a hope and a future, like you said. And um, they have a son. And this son, his name is Obed. And... Um, the women in verses 14 and 15, the women say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. Um, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons and she has given birth to him. That's huge right there. A son was worth everything in that day and Daughter wasn't worth as much at all, let alone a daughter-in-law. And so this daughter-in-law is worth more than seven sons. That's huge. That's huge. Well, um, when we get to, you know, we started in the first chapter and, or, and, and uh, actually in the second chapter, and she says, don't call me Naomi, but call me bitter. That, that my life is in ashes now. And we get to the fourth chapter where the women gather around her and say, man, you are blessed by God. Look at your life. Look at what's happened. Look at how God has met your needs and provided for you. And, and I think that, that one of the things about this that's important is that this was more than a decade. Uh, that This isn't just something that happened overnight, that something bad happened and, and Naomi said, God, get me out of this. And God immediately sort of solved all of her problems. But they had lived like, they'd started in a famine as a family and had moved to Moab and lived there for 10 years. And then she lost her husband and, and her sons. And all of this is going on while, while God's at work. He hasn't forgotten them. And, and I think sometimes we get tired of waiting for God. We get weary of, of the process. And yet God is always at work and he's always faithful and when we take a step back and look at a story like this and and realize the fact that there's more than a decade of this that of the story that's gone on and God continues to be faithful it's a huge lesson for us that God hasn't forgotten us that God isn't finished with us that he's the one who is faithful and now we're getting this beautiful uh, example of God's faithfulness where she's gone from bitter to blessed and uh, it's, it's a remarkable thing for us. It is. And we, we have the bird's eye view. We see the whole picture. We see it many, many years, you know, thousands of years later, we now know the, the end story that, you know, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David, King David, who was in the lineage of Christ and the Messiah. And, and we do see this, this redemption story of the beginning of the story of death and tragedy and how it ends with such joy and birth and and it is a beautiful picture, but um, should I? Yeah. Okay, so I, I feel like some of the things that we, we need to take away from this are the character we've talked about throughout the whole thing is character matters, and um, we see such 
beauty in these people. And I love that there isn't a physical description, and yet I find Naomi and Ruth to be absolutely beautiful women because of their character. And I, I would trust that we as women would be more, more um, interested in our character and the beauty that comes from the inside than anything else. And, and, um, and then we see Boaz, and what a beautiful picture of redemption he is. He, he sought after Ruth. He um, invited her to his table. He um, paid a portion of his wealth to redeem her, and he gave her a future and a hope. And, and they didn't know that their story would be for the Messiah later, to do the same thing where he seeks us out, and he invites us to his table, and he, he paid everything. He sacrificed it all to redeem us, and none of us deserved it, and he gives us a future and a hope, and wow, that's a, that's a mighty God. That's a really mighty God. You know, behavior, uh, character is more than behavior. Uh, most of you know how to act okay most of the time, right? Um, but character Someone's laughing, actually, but you do uh, know how to act well most of the time. But, but, but character is, you know, the old saying is character is who you are when no one's looking. I, I like the idea that character is what's coming out from the inside. It's, the, it's, it's who you are on the inside that flows into your behavior. Your behavior is a byproduct of your character. Uh, what, how you speak is a, a byproduct of your character. And so what we're seeing people here are, are people who were devoted to God, uh, that they loved each other, uh, that all of these qualities, all of these things that came from the inside and worked their way out formed their character. And that's what we're looking at as we follow Jesus is what's growing on the inside of me? What's gonna come out of my life in Christ as opposed to me just learning how to act better? And, uh, and, and, they, and we get a beautiful uh, picture of that in this story. And just seeing God's hand and how he weaves the, uses godly people to um, carry out his plan. And he, he uses, we, we see the end story of Naomi and Ruth and how years later the Messiah comes. Just, but we don't know the end of our story. And we just need to remain faithful and um, and trust him that he is at work no matter he's at work all the time in the details and in the little mundane things he is he is at work and i i just love that we we won't know for generate we don't know what's happening generations from now but god does and you had a second uh, one that you'd mentioned that god is sovereign mm-hmm. and uh that that god was at work through this whole thing he never stopped uh, working through this whole thing. And you know, one of the things that, if you take a step back and look at the story, one of the things I love about this story is that to this day, uh, now, now David was uh, a thousand years before Jesus. We've been more than 2,000 years since then. So more than 3,000 years ago, this story took place. And for the last 3,000 years, it's been read every year uh, by the Jewish people at the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost, which is their celebration for the end of the harvest. And every year at that particular celebration, uh, the people of Israel uh, read the story of Ruth. And who would have thought that um, just making that decision to go through that other door, to go through the unreasonable door, to cling uh, to her mother-in-law and that, with that love and devotion uh, would have created a story that goes for the next, that's being told every year for the next 3,000 years that we're talking about this morning. But that's, that's God's story. That's when we begin to enter into his story. And, and so God is sovereign. And then the third part is that God allows us participate in his story. Mm-hmm. 
that Orpah wasn't a bad person. We just don't know what happened after that. We, we know what happened be, with Ruth because she followed in, uh, Naomi in that story and she became part of God's larger story as a result of that. And, and so as Kirsten said, it's kind of fun that, that you, you can trace, we have traced uh, her lineage now to Obed, she and Boaz to Obed. Obed's son was Jesse. Jesse's son was King David. And then if you continue in Matthew 1, you see through David's lineage, we come to Jesus. And so we see how God's hand has been in this whole thing. And something else that I think is really fun is that if you really think about it, then you realize that Jesus wasn't pure Jewish. He wasn't a pure Hebrew, that he had some Moabite in his blood those evil Moabites, and, and, and part of God's redemption is that God's redeeming the world to himself, uh, and, and it's not a, just about uh, the pure blood, it's not just about the certain people, but God is calling the whole world to himself, and we're getting a, a look at that uh, even back you know, thousands of years before in God's work uh, through this story and in the lineage of Jesus. And so um, God, uh, character matters. God is sovereign. God allows us to participate in his story. And and I wanted to uh, have you just share a little bit of how that's worked in your life and your story, Kirsten. Well, before I came to work and be on staff here at uh, North Bible, I was in the banking mortgage world for years. And I started off as a branch manager and then went to mortgage and was doing was a loan officer and um, I knew my I knew the business really well and I really enjoyed it and I um, I felt like I was confident in it and and yet for some reason God um, allowed an opportunity to come here to north and I had always done ministry I always whether it was working with um, middle school kids when I was in high school and then young moms when I, was, when I was a young mom doing mops. And I've always done ministry, but I had never worked at a church. And um, here I am at a financial company. And Larry and Jeff come to me and ask if I would come to work at the church uh, full time. And, and it, was an, it was a door. I could stay put, and that would be perfectly reasonable, and that would make a lot of sense. Um, I knew what I was doing. Or I could trust God's uh, providence and trust godly people in my life and walk through a little bit of an unknown. And um, that's what I chose to do. I chose to walk through a little bit of an unreasonable or an unknown. And Not um, that we were unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so I came here. And it has been a huge blessing for me. God has opened up a lot of opportunities for friendships and relationships and ministry. And um, it's been a wonderful thing for my family. And even though our family has had some ups and downs, it's been a blessing to be here. Um, and you all have played a big part in that too and being a blessing to our family too. So. And we are blessed because of you and Scott and the family. And, and uh, your impact goes way beyond the walls of this church and God's used you in ways and you know his story uh through your faithfulness is still unfolding and that's the beauty of it that we'll look back in another decade and see all that god has done and that's part of the beauty of his story and it's so much bigger uh, and more beautiful than than ours um there's really a couple questions that i wanted to ask you guys to to think about this morning um one is are you living a naomi life are you living a, a life that people would look at your life and say, whatever it is that they have, whatever it is about them, I need that. 
I need that in my life. And, and again, this isn't about behaving well. This isn't about convincing anybody. This is about what God has done on the inside of us that leaks out, that flows out of our lives, that draws people to Jesus. Uh, first and foremost, draws people to him. And, and are we living that kind of life? Are we growing in, in that way? And, um, and, and then the second part of that is, who is God calling me to love the way Ruth loved Naomi? Who, who is God calling me to, uh, to love in that kind of profound way that would cause me to go through an unreasonable door? And, and one thing that we know for sure is that Christ is calling us to love him like that. Christ is calling, him, uh, calling us often to leave what we know, what we think is comfortable, what we think is reasonable, and say, I'm gonna sell all out to you, Lord. I'm gonna follow you no matter what. I'm gonna trust my life to you. Uh, I wanna be part of your big story. And so periodically we need to grapple with those questions. Am I, am I living that life of character, that life that overflows with the character of Christ? And am I loving Christ the, the way, in a way that would challenge me to maybe go through a door that I wouldn't normally go through? Would you pray for us, please? I'd love to. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the beauty of it and um, the perfection of it. And and the realness. Um, Lord, thank you that we get to see real emotions and uh, real uh, despair, and yet we get to see your redemption and how you um, have a bigger plan. And I just pray that you would help each of us trust in your bigger plan in our lives. Help us to trust you with the hard times. Help us to trust you in the mundane and Hmm. help us to know that you are always at work in our lives and we love you and we thank you for your great love and faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.